Hey everybody, I'm Meredith and I'm part of the Fade to Gray Patreon and I've got some great news for you. Are you paying too much for your auto, home, life, or small business insurance without having your own agent you can trust to advise you correctly? Insurance agent Chad Johnson has multiple companies to offer these products and is licensed in Missouri, Illinois, Oklahoma, Kansas, Arkansas, and Iowa. Call or text message him at 417-421-2925 for a no-obligation quote on any of your insurance needs. Again, that's call or text message 417-421-2925. Ladies and idiots. This is the Fade to Gray podcast. Everything will be aces. Let's get faded, guys. Hell yeah. He has many, and I mean many, leather-bound books on shelves made of rich mahogany. Now you've heard of gay conversion therapy. Well, this is gray conversion therapy. I think you're going to like it. I'm not braver than you. I'm just drunker than you. And you're fabulous. You deserve to be told you're fabulous. What do you think about the podcast? It sucks. Nice. Douglas Allen, how the hell are you? I, I'm cold at the moment, man. It's really cold in Nashville, but I'm doing well. So when did you move to Nashville? Because the last time that you and I talked, you lived in um, California. Yeah, I lived in Oakland, California. I just moved to Nashville in November, actually, beginning in November. I can imagine that you moved to Nashville for music purposes. I did. I moved, I moved here. Uh, I'd been doing music in Oakland for... Well, Bay, the Bay Area for a total of 10 years, uh, but seriously in Oakland for about five years. And uh, I was ready to move to an actual music market and try to take it on because I, you know, uh, I guess this would be a good time to go get, in, get into some history here. Sure. So uh, yeah. let me just start out by saying that Doug and I met a long ass time ago and we were both children. <laughs> Okay. We were children. We were children. You were friends with a neighbor of mine and you came over and uh, to my house. I had no idea who you were. I wasn't a mm-hmm. musician then. You may have been a musician, but at the time I, I was not. I don't think I was. Yeah. So we weren't even musicians at the time. And um, all I remember is you wanted to play Earthworm Jim and I wanted to play Mortal Kombat. Yeah, and you you have never let me forget that I loved Earthworm Jim and you're like, that is the dumbest game ever. <laughs> and I had never I even like, played it. I'm sure it's awesome. It is the best. It's still the best Sega Genesis <laughs> game ever. I'll take anybody anybody's challenge all day. That is great. Sega Genesis game. Never played it. it. Never played it. I just wanted yeah. to see blood and guts. You know, at that age, that yeah. Angsty, well, you know. I mean, I also liked Mortal Kombat for sure, but Earthworm Jim was like my guilty pleasure. Oh man. Yeah. It's, we're showing our age now. Yeah. Yeah. We're uh, old. For sure. So that's when you and I met, and. Yeah. Then after that, I don't remember seeing you for a long time. Yeah, we didn't see each other for a long, long time. And I don't, I don't remember how we got reintroduced. And I think it was, um, oh, I know what it was. It was definitely Super Summer. Like we had, I had seen you at Super Summer the year before we played at Super Summer, I think. Or that was kind of like how we got reacquainted. So just for those of people out there who don't know, Super Summer is a summer yeah. camp uh, for Christians. And yeah. it's cultish and and really crazy uh but at the time it was amazing and awesome it was awesome at the time yeah but thankfully thankfully i'm recovering yeah likewise um yeah i gave christianity up for lent every year <laughs> so so we we met at super summer again okay i think we met at super summer and then it was um and then we i don't know how how do we 
we definitely met and we talked about playing music together and then you knew I was a drummer at that time and I knew you were a guitar player and then I came over I came over to your house yeah because like I was jamming with this guy named Jeremiah and right. he was really into punk music and wanted to be kind of like an MXPX ripoff uh, type band and I was into alternative rock and also a little bit of like grunge and stuff like that at the time and so I wanted to go more that direction and I don't even know what you were listening to. I think you were like really into Dave Matthews and stuff like that at the time. Yeah, actually, being a, being a drummer in high school, definitely my uh, my junior year was a very junior year in high school was a very formative year for like drumming for me. But I was I'd gotten really big into uh, like I was listening to a lot of stuff. I was listening to a lot of jazz, like Blue Hats from the yellow jackets and then i was listening to a lot of dave matthews would be like the most mainstream thing i was listening sure. to and i listened to like um herbie hancock and the headhunters and then uh but i really got into the police also because Stuart copeland was such a great drummer so i was i was really heavy into anything that had kind of like some complex uh drum parts in it but then of course i also listened to like you know the standard things that any other high school person listens to. I think at that time it was like life house and sure. <laughs> um, Creed, which I'm ashamed to say, but definitely. Yeah, had, me too. Uh, I had that first we, album. We all had that album. We did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> stain on humanity, but we did it. We did it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was definitely what I was listening to at the time. Yeah. And so I guess we kind of came together and started jamming a little bit. And it seems like we made that four song EP like really quick we Und did we did it in a in a night yeah but like even maybe we practiced like two or three times maybe yeah like in total before we even made it yeah I just don't remember practicing that much and then we no, went, we didn't yeah and what was that guy's name Roach Rick Roach yeah we went to Rick Roach Studios in Kingston right Kingston <laughs> wow <laughs> and that was my first like actual recording studio experience me as well actually yeah, we did that one show as Martyr. Was that with Glisten? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I just remember my favorite part of that whole show was you were on the mic and you were like introducing the band and you were, you said my name and then you were like, hey, ladies, he's single. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. And I was like, that's that's good. That's a precedent. How old were we then? It was right after our junior year, so we were probably 17. Wow. So after that, um, we didn't really play together in bands, um, but you and I sang together at church. Yeah, we did. We sang together at church. Um, yeah, so I remember that was a really weird time for me um, because mm, I was newly married at the time. And theologically ambiguous, I think, is what I would say is, you know, I didn't really know where I was at on a lot of things. And uh, and I I remember we were kind of like my then wife and I were looking for churches and we, we found Silo. And, and, you know, I think the chance to do music for the youth group, you were like, I'm kind of done with it. And I was <laughs> like, I'll do it. That'd be cool. That was perfect for me because I was so burnt out. <laughs> yeah, I bet you were. I mean, you've been doing it for years. I think we play, I played one time with you, or I played one time with Jared at, 
at the youth minister at Silo that one time. I played drums over there a couple times and really, really wanted me to come be a part of that. And I was like, nah, I'm good. And then I never thought I'd come back and like go to that church and be a, you know, I guess a worship leader, if that's the vernacular. That was the beginning of me with guitar and, and doing music stuff. Like I actually had spent a summer away from home uh, in West Virginia doing doing summer missions. There's going to be a lot of church talk at the front of this. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get past it, I'm sure. Right. Um, but I went on a summer mission trip in West Virginia, and I, lit, I didn't have a drum set, and I didn't have a piano, which are the two things that I played a lot of. And so this guy, this youth minister from another church, had this beat up old Washburn that he never he never played during the week, and I was like, "Hey, I I can only watch so many episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants in the real world. Uh, can I borrow that guitar during the week?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." I don't know why he let me borrow it. I wouldn't let somebody borrow my guitar like that uh, now, but but he did, and and uh, and that's I started to learn how to play play the guitar, and then when I came home, nobody wanted me to play the guitar. It was awesome. Everybody's like, "Why don't you just do what you're best at? You're a drummer." And I'm like, "I'm do what I want." And uh, I so just I remember you guitar. coming in. And I didn't even know you played guitar, and then all of a sudden, you were a better guitar player than me. And I was like, "Okay, well, I oh, guess that is that is not true. One hundred percent true. You're incredible no. at guitar, and you got there oh, very man. quickly. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. No, I I could never play Yellow Lead better, which you could always do. And I was like, "Oh man, I love it when he plays that. I wish I could play like that." So, um, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. I've, I've tried to, tried to work on it, you know? Yeah. So that was the beginning for sure. I, I definitely, I try to play every day. My guitar is actually laying over on my bed, uh, right over there. So the last thing that I really remember, cause we didn't keep in touch too much after I moved to Dallas in uh-huh. 2007, that was whenever I was about 24 years old. And, um, so I kind of lost touch a little bit with you. Um, so I don't really know kind of why you even moved to California. I don't know anything about that. So do you want to kind of talk a little bit about why yeah, you moved there? Sure. Yeah. I actually moved to get my master of divinity at a seminary North of San Francisco. And I was on this track to be a minister. And, uh, so, so then my, then wife Rianne and I moved to, uh, San Francisco and, uh, and started school there, and um, I went on this track for doing Master of Divinity, which means, you know, I studied Greek, Hebrew, theology, Old New Testament, preaching, all the fun things. And, uh, and, and I'll just share, like, my perspective through that time, but, like, I actually got to, I uh, had two kids in the process of that, so uh, my two daughters, Mara and Lillian, were born during that time, um, Mara came about and uh, right after uh, our first year. So she was born the summer after my second semester there. And then uh, then Lily was on the way two years later, to really towards the end of uh, to my time there. Like uh, I was finishing up and about to graduate, and Rian was about to graduate as well. And, um, and I really had... The, the only way I could describe it is a quarter life crisis where I was just like, what does it all mean? And it was very much the beginning of my uh, step away from faith in, in a sense. And, uh, and this is not a this is not a religion podcast, but I mean, it's so intrinsically tied to my story that that. Um, but during that time, 
like I had been leading music at churches in in uh, in the North Bay, just north of San Francisco, and I had been doing music at the seminary, and I and, and I had even tried to write all these uh, worship songs, I guess these these kind of praise songs, and um, and I just wasn't good at it. And I couldn't figure out, like, well, everybody else around me is so good at, like, writing these things. And then I just kind of realized that uh, I was so not passionate about those songs that when I kind of had this this crisis, I suppose, which was kind of a long burn between both my daughters being born, that I just started to write. And I started to write songs about just, like, how I was feeling. And I used a lot of imagery. and, And then I would... I, you know, uh, long had this experience of playing in churches and, and nobody's ever happy with how you do anything when you play in a church. Of course. They, they're, they're like, you didn't play that song right. That was too loud. You made a weird face, you know, whatever, uh, name it. And You didn't say um, Jesus enough. You didn't say Jesus enough. You didn't pray right. And you didn't, you know, <laughs> just name it. There's always a criticism and never, never an affirmation on any of those things that you did, which is a really weird place to be as a musician because I think as an artistic person, you crave some validation. And so to get none, you know, it was, it was such a weird spot to be in. And then I would write these songs and then I'd go out to open mics in like San Francisco or in the North Bay in Marin. And I would, uh, I'd perform these original tunes and usually a cover with it. Cause you usually get two songs or something. And it was the first time that I experienced an entire room being quiet and listening to what I was doing, and then and it, it almost became like a drug. You're like, oh, well, that felt cool. Like every and then people would walk up to you and be like, wow, that was really that was something, or you know, whatever. And and you know, I think at the time I, I was just like, oh no, and I'm not that was not that great. And now it's just like, thank you, thank you for that, appreciate it. Um, but it was such a weird experience to to have such an opposite reaction to what I had been doing in churches that that I was like. Uh, I think I want to write songs, but I don't want to write Christian music. And um, then I spent, uh, right right after that, I graduated seminary and I went to, uh, I took a job as a minister of music in Colorado. And it was by far the worst experience of my life. Um, I don't mean to talk badly. I won't talk badly about anybody in that church, um, but it was just, it was a dynamic that I wasn't prepared for. It crashed right up against my ideals of wanting to help people. Uh, it crashed right up against my ideals of what I wanted to do with music. And and uh, I really just uh, I had a lot of personal struggles during that time. And I remember the day rolling into that town. I was like, I'm going to hate it here. And uh, I was ready to leave the moment I got there. And, wow. Yeah, and I, but during that time, while I was doing all this church music and I was doing a lot of other things, I was um, writing. I w- I'd been writing, I'd write a, a few lyrics and then I'd write, um, I'd write a lot of uh, music and I had all this music kind of stored up and um, <laughs> I remember when I left that place, it was like I was pregnant with all these song ideas and then when I, I moved back to California so I'd left California I'd spent a year away I moved back to California and uh, I just wrote and and I kind of didn't know what my sound was I didn't know what I was uh, looking for but somebody gave me a gave me a record 
by this guy named David Ramirez, Justin Robinson, actually, um, one of my good drummer friends from from Durant, gave me this uh, gave me this record. He's like, just just take this record. Don't ask me any questions. And uh, he's long. He's always known my musical taste probably better than I do. And I listened to it, and I was like, whoa. And it changed my perspective, and that was when I started writing my first record. Every time you speak, you never say what you mean. See you by your tongue, but you never complete. I don't know. I can see it in your eyes, and I know what you think. You better call it. You know, it's it's interesting. I go by Douglas Allen. Um, now, I, I my name is Doug Teeman. Uh, Allen's my middle name. It's my uh, maiden name of my mom. So uh, I kind of adopted that. But before before I had found a name, um, I was really scared to use a name, use my own name. I think I hid behind and came up with this idea of dust and blood. I thought was a cool idea and i googled it and it was taken so i was like well okay blood and dust then <laughs> and i was like if iron and wine can do it you know why not if all these one 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 man bands can do it and they they do these names i can do it too and so uh i wrote this record called the crooked road and uh uh as blood and dust and i started to kind of go anytime i went and played somewhere i, I had practiced this kind of thing where when I introduced myself, I was like, I am blood and dust. <laughs> and then of course you get like jokes with that. People are like, which one's blood and which one's dust? You're like I'm blood. My guitar's dust. Ha ha ha. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I did music for a uh, few years as blood and dust. What was the first song that you wrote? Uh, the first song that I wrote was blood and dust actually. Um, and it, it was, uh, I remember when I wrote the tune, I wrote the music back in Colorado and it, to me, it always reminded me of a freight train when I'd first written it. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. That's the imagery I've got. And then I'd already named my, my band or my music project blood and dust. And I was like, Oh, what if I wrote this song blood and dust? And, and so I just kind of took that idea and, and wrote that tune. You wrote the song blood and dust. And then how long after that did you start letting people hear those songs? Immediately. Like okay. I, I, me I immediately would take them out and test drive them. And, and Blood and Dust was always one of those songs that kind of got people's attention. And I think, I think it's probably because um, it's probably one of the most interesting guitar parts I've ever written. Um, I don't consider myself like a great writer of riffs. Um but it, it's probably the most complex 
and interesting guitar part that I've written. And it sounds, you know, it sounds very Americana. So when you take that out and you're doing something on the guitar that makes you sound or look better than you actually are, uh, I, th- I think that that grabs people's attention. So I, I, that seemed to resonate with a lot of people. Well, I remember whenever you came out with that, uh, because you had put it on social media and, uh, I was really excited for you. And when I heard it, I was like, man, that's some awesome stuff. Like it really <laughs> did kind of sound Americana, but in a really, really unique way in that it wasn't like a Wilco ripoff or something like right. that. It was, it was your own. And we were all super pumped and excited for you whenever that came out. And oh, thanks. I mean, really good stuff. What was the response to the people that you played it to in, in Oakland? I gained a small following in Oakland. And I think um, this actually goes a lot into why I moved to Nashville. But I think, you know, I think the Americana kind of genres is kind of nebulous in Oakland. There is there is it is there. There are other bands there that I know and are friends of mine that really do it, but they also spend a lot of time not in Oakland. They go a lot of other places. They come to Nashville. They go to uh, they go to Portland. They hit Middle America and the South a lot because that is where where it's largely received. Um, but I think I I carved out a place and I actually carved out a community there um, and some people that I would eventually go on to write with and. Um, yeah, it was a. I feel like overall the response was really positive, but I don't know how long lasting, how long lasting it was. You know, immediately, it was shortly after that that record came out that I uh, separated and then would get divorced and then start writing new music almost immediately. Sure, of course. Yeah. What were your influences at the time that you wrote and recorded Blood and Dust? What were you listening to? Well, I was definitely listening to David Ramirez, who I mentioned earlier. Um, David Ramirez was was a big influence. His second full length record, uh, Apologies, was definitely uh, something I was listening to a lot. I was also listening to um, a guy named Thad Cockrell, uh, who would go on to be in a band called Leagues, which is totally different than his solo stuff. I've um, actually seen Leagues. Yeah. 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 So Fat Cockrell's now out in LA. He's a he's a great songwriter. His solo stuff was really great and kind of country. I was definitely listening to Ray LaMontagne. I was definitely listening to Amos Lee. Um, those have always been kind of big influences for me. But, you know, I think David Ramirez would have to stand up above the rest as like that's the sound I liked and wanted. And uh, you know, it was pretty inspiring. So that, that was definitely, uh, I think that when I listen to that record, I definitely hear like me trying to emulate some David Ramirez. Sure. For sure. Yeah. So what year was it that blood and dust, uh, came out that record? It was the crooked road, correct? The crooked road, the crooked road. What year did that come out? 2014. It took me a couple of years to actually like, uh, get the gumption up and actually go record the record. So I'd been doing, I'd been doing a couple of those tunes, um, for a couple of years at least, because I moved back to Oakland in 2012. So, uh, very beginning of 2012 and I started to write all these songs and I'd say by 2013, I had them. So about a year before that, uh, before that came out, um, I had, I had all those tunes, uh, except for a couple that ended up being on the record. Uh, that I wrote kind of late, but yeah. So you didn't write any in the studio. You just kind of wrote them 
pretty soon before you went to go record yeah. them? I didn't have the money or the luxury to write any right. in the studio. I mean, we, uh, to be honest, uh, and and I think, well, I'm proud of that record and I love it so much. Uh, we did record it in two days and we did it live. So the drummer and the bass player and I all, like my vocals and guitar were together. We did it all live. Um, so, you know, there was a part of that where we're just like, hey, we'll try to get the best vocal take we can get. What studio was that at? Uh, Faultline Studios. It's down in the uh, Soma area of san francisco so it's close close to downtown and i had a good friend who was in another band who uh was an audio engineer there and uh he uh he he uh engineered the record so that's awesome yeah it's a trip it was a high pressure the high stakes for for two-day recording yeah that's impressive for two days man so you talked a little bit about the split with your wife um, yeah. How did that influence your music writing? Because you said you wrote a whole bunch after that. I did. Um, I would say it influenced it a lot. And I think a lot of it was the beginning of this journey of self-discovery. And that sounds so cliche, but it was kind of true. I mean, I was uh, single and um, navigating really a new community of people. I had been part of a church community, but, you know because of being divorced, you know, I think people, people pick sides and that's okay. Um, and, uh, I had to kind of forge a new community. So in the middle of that, I was just trying to figure out who I was and I was just trying to survive. And I think I was at a place where I, I have this one song called walls that I wrote. And I basically was in a place where I'm like, I don't know if I even believe in love. Like, I don't even know if that's a thing. And then me writing that song was saying, yeah, it's a thing. It's real. And so I started to write that and I started to write, um, uh, some other stuff around that, that, um, of just, and it was a pretty dark time, pretty dark time. Uh, would you say that writing walls helped you kind of move through, uh, that dark period? It was the start of moving through that dark period. It was like the very first song that I had written in the midst of all of that. Um, I had a, it, it was probably the biggest, uh, thesis to that point of me just saying like, okay, I think, uh, I think I'm gonna make it, but I didn't know it was still a very long road ahead. So after your divorce, did you stay in Oakland for a while? I I did. I actually stayed in Oakland for, uh, three, three years. Three years, I stayed in Oakland, and I and I went through um, the year of 2015. Going into 2016 was was incredibly rough. Like I had, um, I started a relationship with somebody, and it was an abusive relationship. And I was like, "Wow, I've never been in this before." And so uh, I didn't write during any of that time, and I was in Oakland and just trying to. I kind of stopped playing shows. I played a couple of shows kind of wasn't doing much I disappeared on the scene you know and uh and I came out of that and started to write again like I immediately uh, it was like that phase ended and I went straight into the studio I'd written like three or four songs right off the back I started working with a producer named Gowan Matthews in in the in the Bay Area and uh just started recording I was like I'm just gonna do this uh but yeah I went from kind of being I disappeared and 
and I needed that. I needed to disappear, but nobody really knew where I was during that time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I stayed in Oakland for three years, and I basically built rebuilt a presence. And so, what was the what were the, what were the songs that you recorded uh, right after that? Well, right after that, um, I the first song that I took into the studio was this song called "Wanna Be With You," and um, that was the Hootie and the Blowfish cover. Yeah, don't I only want to be with you. <laughs> yeah, I totally ripped it off from them. Sorry, man. Um, no, no, it's it's all good. <laughs> um, no, I I actually I, I laugh when I t- when I talk about I don't talk about that story very often. It's not about anybody specific. Um, it was more of like a mood or a feeling, but but uh, it was kind of inspired by a couple of dates that I had gone on with with a person and. Um, I joke, I've joked with my friends. I'm like, yeah, sometimes you don't know how date, how good the date is going until you're out on the sidewalk making out, you know, that's <laughs> right. And, uh, that was, and inevitably that was like the first verse of the song. And, uh, so I wrote that and, but I had been working on this song for a while. And, and, um, as I, I think as I've matured as a songwriter, I've really started to invest in knowledge of song form and, uh, lyrical hooks and melodic hooks and all those kind of things. And so as I was listening, I, I was listening to a guy give a talk on songwriting and he said something and it clicked because I've been trying to write this refrain for that song for a long, long time. And it was just getting nowhere. And I would just get so frustrated. And then he said something. I was like, oh, sometimes it doesn't even need a chorus. I'm like, that's what this song needs. No chorus. <laughs> and so really it just, you know, th- that song just has a little hook at the end of each verse it just says i want to be with you i want to be with you i'm like that's eh, simple there it is outside the bar out in the street kissing by the dogwood tree standing close under the blues makes me want to be with you say is the biggest inspiration for your lyrics when you're writing songs that's a great question um it really depends um i think for some of my songs it is it's usually a mood i'm feeling or a thing that i want to say that i haven't said you know like sometimes i will sit down and i will write 
lists of things that I want to write about. And uh, some of them just seem so utterly ridiculous that I, that I put those on the back burner for the longest amount of time. But, you know, I think, I think learning to navigate a a life um, in a new city, in a new, you know, um, place in your life, like my songs really are for me uh, a form of therapy. (laughs) They're like the way for me to get a thing off my chest and my hope when I write those things is that they're relatable. So I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of things when I write a song. I'm, I'm definitely thinking about, sometimes it is, I'll just get a phrase in my head. I'm like, Ooh, I want to write to that. And so you can kind of construct a song around it. Sometimes it's, um, sometimes I feel something so deeply that I have to write about it. One song in particular is called better at hurting you. And I remember when I wrote that song, I was, I was, in Oakland, I was out on my back porch. It was the middle of summertime, and it was cold. <laughs> and I had a cup of coffee and my guitar, and I was working on this love song that I had been sitting on for a while and was writing it. Mediocre love song. Um, and my coffee got cold, so I went inside, and I did a thing that I never do when I'm writing, which is I listen to somebody else. I, I turned on a song another songwriter that I, that I loved, I seen that they had had a new video release and I was like, ah, whatever. And I clicked on, I need to take a break from this song. So I listened to this song and what was the song? Um, well, it's a David Ramirez song. He had this song called watching from a distance. And, um, I heard it. And when I got done, I was so moved that I was like, Oh, fuck. I'm going to have to dig deep today. And so uh, though, though the song that I would write that day didn't sound anything like his song, um, I thought to myself, I literally sat there and I was like, what do I need to say that I haven't said? And um, the answer to that was, I'm sorry. And so um, I just wrote that down and I started to write this song called Better at Hurting You. And I just, I don't think I've ever been more transparent in a song or more uh, brutally honest with myself. Um, and then, y- y- you know, it. I think it comes through. Because uh, as I would take that song out and I'd play it, like I would get a response that I've, uh, I mean, I get responses from my songs, of course. But every now and again, you get a song that's like, you get a response. And people want to come and talk to you about it. And um, yeah, I, I found myself having conversations with people about this song. And so, uh, yeah, that's that. I think that that to me is one of my favorite stories about writing a song because so often I, you know, writing a song is, is, it's like, it's like drawing a picture or maybe it's like putting together a puzzle where you're just trying to figure out how everything fits and you're trying to make this cohesive unit that sounds good, feels good, and will move people in or connect with people. That's that's like my goals when I'm writing a song. So this, I kind of didn't care. I was just like, I don't care what anybody thinks on this one. I'm just going to write it. And that ends up being a song that has a lot of response behind it. It ends up being your most relatable song, I'm sure, because you're not you know necessarily writing it to... 
connect with people. You're just writing it from your own heart. And yeah. that's the true connection is whenever other people can see your actual heart and know uh, what you went through to get to the point where you're at to write that song. Totally. We were 21. We were young. We had no business falling in love. So much unsaid. Too much to feel Like trying to balance life on a spinning wheel And it was only a matter of time Before it fell apart Well, as I told, secrets kept Were never yours to hold that regret for every bit as much as the love was true I was better at hurting you I like what you said about writing songs being therapeutic because writing music is a whole lot cheaper than seeing a therapist and it's almost just as good right <laughs> sometimes I mean sometimes you need to go to therapy of course sure. of course um, but but, you know, if you're strapped for cash, you don't have insurance, uh, writing a song will do in a pinch, for sure. <laughs> you're still in Oakland at this point, whenever you wrote that song. Yes. Um, so how much longer was it until you decided to move to Nashville? By the time I had written that song, I had already decided to move to Nashville. And I had... The story about Nashville is really interesting. I um, had connected with a friend, and... Um, she she's a music manager down in LA and we kind of connected and we were talking and she heard my music and she said you know you don't you don't belong there you belong in Nashville and and it was really funny because I you know I had a couple of points in my time in Oakland where I can honestly say that everything any heart-wrenching tragic things ever happened to me happened in Oakland or in the Bay Area um as much as I love it, uh, and, it, and it does, and probably always will feel like home, um, I had had these several moments over that five-year span where I was like, I swear, one more thing happens, I'm moving, I'm leaving. <laughs> and, I, and I had thought about Portland for a while, because all my friends were moving to Portland, and then I was like, no, I don't want to live in Portland. I had um, genuinely considered Nashville. And so when somebody presented an opportunity with Nashville and they, they were like, I'm moving, you should go too. And so, uh, I really started to kind of look at it. I started to bounce it off of friends, close friends. Um, I started to kind of investigate it and then, you know, um, decided that it was the right thing to do. And so, so I had kind of decided back last spring that I was moving to Nashville and, um, and I just didn't tell anybody for, for a while. I just kind of <laughs> sat on it for a long, long time while I made plans around it. And then, um, and a couple months out from leaving or a month out from leaving, I told everybody. And so it was coming up and, and, uh, but yeah, I was, I was there and I was still writing songs and I, actually it was, it was interesting because I, I, before that, um, I had been working, I'd been working for, uh, 
an outdoor company based out of Colorado, but it based in, but uh, they had operations in California and I had worked for them all through seminary. And I'd worked through them when I worked for them, when I moved uh, back to the Bay area and I had kind of moved up the ladder a little bit and I was working in their corporate offices and I had decided like, I'm going out for a big boy job with the North face. And, uh, and I went out and did this, slew of interviews and I'd gone to the very end of the process I was um very close to having this job and then they gave it to somebody who already worked for the company and uh then I had a moment yeah but is it um I don't know is it though like (laughs) I I mean that was I kind of felt like like if I don't get this this is my sign to move to Nashville to to go after music, because at that time I didn't know I was moving to Nashville, but but it was uh, I kind of had a moment where after that happened, and I had these I had that door close that I I had gotten to a space where I think you know any songwriter like I'm not I'm not I don't have any kind of debilitating crippling thing that tells me I'm not good at music, but any songwriter who does music and who tries to go after it, like asks that question, do I have what it takes, you know? And, um, uh, I decided that that, the answer to that question didn't really matter. Um, and so I was just, I, I went into 2017 just being like, you know what? I'm a badass, And I don't mean that in like a cocky way. That just means like, I'm, I, I am at least good enough at this that I'm going to work my ass off at it. And I'm going to keep, doing this and I don't care what any, nobody's going to tell me I can't. And so I decided to have that kind of attitude, not in a way that was like, I'm better than any, no, I don't, I, there's always somebody better, but I just decided that for me, you're for good myself, enough. I'm good enough. Yeah. I'm smart enough. And, and dog on it. it. <laughs> People like me. Um, and yeah, so, so it was really interesting because when I took that kind of perspective, it sh- everything shifted. Like I started to get gigs that I could never get, and I started to get, and I started to write songs that were better than any songs I had written. <laughs> and uh, can you give me an example of one of those songs? Well, "Better at Hurting You" is a great example. I would say that anything that I wrote in the last two years has just increasingly got better. So, like, I I wrote um, "Should Have Known," "Want to Be with You," "Bedroom Gospel." These they're all songs that I kind of Charlie Dixon. Charlie Dixon has got such a really cool feel to it. Thank you. It's almost like a devil went down to Georgia type feel. I never thought of it that way, but I, um, I just wanted, I wanted to write a driving song. That's, that was my idea when I wrote it. And I wrote that song in the shower. Um, <laughs> I've written quite a few songs in the shower. Let's, I'll be real. It's where you sound that. the best. It is. And it's like, it's also like a quiet place where I can actually think and I have no distractions. So I, I'm literally like, working on a melody and then words and then it just kind of comes together. And then I usually, if I work in reverse and I'm like, Oh shit, I got to figure out how to play this on the guitar. (laughs) Um, so, uh, so yeah, I wrote, I wrote Charlie Dixon. I wrote, I wrote a bunch of those tunes and I just felt like my stuff had gotten better. Gonna tell you a story about a man from the East. Well, they call him Charlie Dixon. Going wild with every woman in town. You know he's a hungry man. 
Charlie rode their way. Yeah, he's a hungry man. Living wild and running free. Oh, he's a hungry man. Yeah, just doing like he pleases. He gonna chew you up and swallow you whole, but he ain't going home till he gets his fill. Okay, well, I'll share a story. I'll share a story that 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 I think um, gave me a moment where I was like, "Wow, okay, then and now." And uh, it's such a great story because I I love the stories that make me look like a total jackass because they're always a great reminder to me, uh, <laughs> what a jackass I am. It's perfect. <laughs> um, no, I remember so so kind of right after I had started Blood and Dust. Like I was really started it and and it was it was probably 2000 2013. It was before my record had come out and I had made like this really kind of crappy uh garage band demo and uh and then I got asked to play at this thing called Earlfest in in uh wine country. Um in Northern California. And it's, and you know, it's like a big deal. Cause it's like, they have like, uh, like Ray Wiley Hubbard was there and all these great Americana acts were there. And I was just like, I was going to be the first one to play for the day. And so I went, but I was also double booked for that day. So like I was playing that in the morning and then in the evening I got booked to play this house show down in Fremont, California in this architect's backyard. And, uh, and I was, I was playing an opening for this woman from Nashville and, uh, I just thought I was such a badass. I just thought I was like <laughs> such, like, I'm going to, like, I literally had the idea, like the, the attitude that day. I was like, I'm going to crush it. Like, I'm going to kill it. So I went to, I went to the Earl Fest and I played and like, I literally didn't have enough songs to play and I could only play original music. I had almost, I had like four or maybe five songs. I and the, and like when I got done with my four or five songs, they're like, "What else you got?" I'm like, "Oh shit! I thought I was only playing for like 20 minutes." Right. Uh, and th- they wanted to hear more, so so you know, I was playing for like a thousand people, two thousand people that that morning, and I was like, "Wow, I'm such a," and I did a good job. Like I actually had another band say, "Like, well, we thought that was a recording when you were warming up," and I was like, "Oh, great! That's a good thing to hear." That's a great compliment. And then yeah. I I played this show and I thought I was this badass and then I went to this house show that evening and the the guys that had booked me for it had heard me at this uh, tiny little venue in Berkeley loved my stuff and wanted me to play and then I had gotten sunburned at the festival and I was like exhausted and I was uh, much more overweight at the time than I am now and just couldn't I guess couldn't handle the demands of the job and so I started this set and I I also learned that I had no experience with crowd work that I hadn't really like I at the time when I was doing shows like if I felt uncomfortable on stage I'd make fun of somebody in the audience which is not <laughs> which is not a good it's never a good way to um don't insult your audience. That's a comedian's job. Sure. <laughs> um, but I just didn't know what I was doing. And so like I would, um, 
I would uh, insult the audience. And so I was so nervous. I was so nervous. <laughs> I didn't know how to engage with this group of like people who were in their 40s and above with a few people in a lower age bracket sprinkled in. And I just, I, um, I didn't, I didn't like bomb. I did okay. And they liked some of my songs, but I just didn't connect. And to me, it was very clear. I didn't connect. And so then the woman gets up from Nashville and she just kills it. Like she's spot on for everything. And she's a great guitar player. She's a great songwriter. She's working the crowd just perfectly. She's really like connecting with people. Do you remember her name? Uh, Melissa Greener. Yeah. And I, and I was literally just like, every time she'd nail it, I'd just be like, Oh God, I really didn't do well. So that happened. And that was like 2013 or so. And then I came out with my record and I'd also like, I walked away from that show realizing like, you really need to learn how to talk to a crowd. Um, Cause I'd always done it in a church setting, but never done it in a setting where like, I'm not talking about spiritual things and, and, uh, yeah, so I really, really started to work on my stage act, I suppose. And and then um, those guys booked me again, surprisingly, four <laughs> years later. Uh, four years later, um, this past summer. And it was such a great moment. The, the, uh, Matt Hayden, the guy that booked me, I love him to death. He's such a great guy. Um, and Paul Welshmeyer, uh, the guy, the guy whose house and he does it. He's a great guy as well. Um, but they booked us for this to, to open for this, um, guy named Mark Karen, who's, who's kind of a really well-known Bay area guy has some ties to the, uh, the Grateful Dead. And to give you kind of like the pedigree for the band that he brought with him, his keyboard player plays with Ryan Adams. Oh, wow. The, the bass player was at the Abbey Road's studio sessions with the Beatles and Paul McCartney was like, you know, you should learn how to play the bass. And he's like, okay, cool. And then he became a, play- a bass player because of it. Jesus. And, can you imagine? Uh, I know. And what <laughs> like, I didn't know any of this going into the show, which I'm glad I didn't know. Cause I, I feel like it would have just given me the nervous, but, I, yeah, but I, uh, we, we show up for the show and I think my, my attitude was like, um, okay, I feel, I feel good. Like uh, my guitar player, Chris, uh, Love him to death. Such a great guy. I miss him. I wish he was out here in Nashville. Um, Like, we did a few rehearsals for it, and we'd been doing a lot of duo gigs. And and I walked in, and I I was like, I feel, you know, I feel like we're prepped good. I like our sets. I think our set's really strong. You know, let's just go and have fun. Like, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to go and have fun. And I had this totally different attitude from from the time that I played this before. And when I walked in, Matt walks up to me. He's like... Oh God! Are you gonna play this song tonight? And there was all—he was naming all the songs off my first record, and I was like, "Uh, no." But Matt, <laughs> I really think you're gonna like our set. I really think you're gonna like my new stuff. You know, I, I hope that you enjoy it. I'm sorry I'm not playing those tunes. I'm gonna do a couple of old tunes, just not those. And um, and he's like, "Oh, oh, okay, oh, you know, okay." And I could, you know, I could tell it. I'd kind of disappointed him, and I was like, "Well, I really think he will like our new stuff." And it was like a totally different night and, and f- for me. And it was very clear. Like, I have not gotten up on stage and been like, wow. Because I was essentially in front of the same audience from, from the four years prior to that. And I was connecting with people and talking. And I had jokes and people were laughing. And 
you know, just there's a kind of mood on stage where you can tell that you're connected, you're tapped in and, and everybody is feeling good about it. And, um, and we played our set and we just, it was great. Like we had a great set. We got asked to do an encore. Um, oh, that's always a good sign. Yeah. And I, and it was great because then I got to play a song that I had written for my youngest daughter, Lillian. And I always tell this funny story about that song and everybody laughs. And then I usually say like, I'm not going to play that song tonight. And they're like, Oh, come on. <laughs> and so it was a great chance to bring that back in the set and do it. And, and, um, and it was like ending on a heartfelt moment that people seem to enjoy. And then I remember his wife, Matt's wife, had taken a picture and posted it on Facebook. And I t- typically don't pay attention to a lot of that stuff uh, anymore. But she had just written like, haven't seen this guy in like four years. He's grown a lot. And that, that to me was like, wow, okay. Like I, I am not the same person I was four years ago i'm not even saying i'm I'm certainly not the same person on a personal level sure i'm and i'm definitely not the same songwriter that i was four years ago and it it was good to see like have a moment where you realize like oh okay i've grown in my craft i've grown in what i do and uh at that point you'd almost come full circle then right yeah i would say so i mean and that was literally that was in that was in august so that was just you know maybe three uh three months away from from moving to Nashville. Like it was, it was kind of on some people's radars and I had started to talk about it. And, um, yeah, it was, it was like, uh, it was a good moment where you realize like, okay, I'm not the same doofus I was, you know, uh, when I started writing songs. So I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of Durant people that listen to this, this episode. Um, but I, anybody who, who, did know me then uh as opposed to now is i i was i was always an introvert but didn't know that i was and now that i've kind of discovered that about myself i kind of understand my limits and i also understand like my discomfort around groups and people and i and i also very much like being on a stage because there is kind of a boundary there so like uh it's probably a reason why like if i go to a live show i'm in the back or away <laughs> I'm, I'm where I can see the music, but I don't want to be in the crowd. Yeah. Cause I just, I, there's a discomfort level there for me that I can't, that, that doesn't feel good. And so, um, so knowing that I'm an introvert, but yet I get up on stage all the time, it's a totally different thing because there's stage is kind of a boundary in a sense. And, um, rarely do people cross that boundary, you know, to get to you. Of course. Um, in a sense. So you mentioned uh, the people that may listen to the podcast being most people from your hometown. So if yeah. you haven't seen most of those people in a while, or at least you're, you've disconnected with them, they may you know think one way about you. If you could tell them something that you want them to know about you as a person now, what would it be? Oh, man. Uh, I'd say I'm sorry to start off. Uh, I think... So I know that we've talked a lot about things in, in the course of this time. And um, I used to be this really kind of self-righteous religious zealot in a sense. I really had a, I really had a chip on my shoulder about, about Christianity all the while failing in secret, not letting anybody know. And um, I think uh, 
I've had my fair share of humble pie served to me that I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate the journey that I'm on, even, even in my divorce and, and those kind of things. Well, those things are hard. You know, it's made me a better person and I'm thankful. I don't regret my marriage at all. Um, I very much think that my ex-wife is a, is a badass. I think she's great. She's a great mom, great, two great daughters, uh, who, uh, who I am close to. Um, uh, but people who, who maybe haven't connected with me in a long time, I would just say, uh, you know, if you met me in person now, one, you wouldn't recognize me because I'd look totally different. Than you look I great. Did. You really Thanks, do. Man. You look fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I'm I'm a lot lighter than I was in college and high school. I have no hair on my head and I have a beard. <laughs> so I definitely look different. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the difference between then and now is that uh, I know myself, which I can't say I, has always been the case for me. And actually, I played a gig in Durant. Uh, so the last gig that you came to, I played in Dallas. Mor- Morning Bell? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, opening bell. Opening bell. That's Is right. Opening bell. Opening bell. Coffee. Morning so bell's I a played... Radiohead song. Sorry. Uh, okay. Opening know, bell. Everything's a Radiohead song. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I played that show, and then the next night, um, I went to play at the courthouse centennial celebration in Duran, Oklahoma, for the courthouse, and I, I was billed as Douglas Allen. I uh, remember my name is Doug Teeman, but I was billed as Douglas Allen and um, nobody knew who I was except for the Allen side of my family who knew it was me. Uh, so like my cousin Mike and some other people knew because their last name's Allen and they all knew it was me through Facebook and through stuff. But like um, uh, there were a ton of people at that who didn't know it was me. And I also looked different. And I remember halfway through my set, I said, so... You know, my name is Douglas Allen. I'm from Durant. And people were all kind of like looking at each other. It's like, <laughs> uh, I used I used to go by Doug Teeman, and they're like, I heard like audible gasps in in the in the on the court you know, courthouse lawn, like <gasps> and I remember um I don't remember Sue's last name, but Sue used to play piano at at uh Silo. Sue Hopkins. Yeah. Yes. Fantastic woman. Yeah. Fantastic woman. Uh, she came up to me and uh, she played at she played at my wedding. Actually, she's like, "Doug Teeman, I didn't even know that was you. Like, I can't even believe it. I wouldn't even known if you hadn't said anything." And I was like, "Well, that's why I said something because I knew nobody would know." Um, and uh, to be honest, because a lot of those people know that I'm now divorced, and a lot of people know because uh, my you know my both me and my ex's family are are from that town. Uh, I guess I kind of expected a lot of judgment or I was maybe hesitant. I thought that that might be a thing that happens because divorce is not a super acceptable thing in small town, Oklahoma. And, um, and, uh, I just didn't get that reaction at all. And it, and it really kind of gave me this, uh, affinity for Durant and made me realize that it's actually, you know, it's a small town and that has its drawbacks, I'm sure. But but it's also a town of people who I think, for the most part, are genuinely good people. And I got a snapshot of that and it made me, you know, uh, have a little bit more appreciation for where, for, uh, for where I grew up and where I came from. And, and realize that 
all of those things like have played into who I am now. Like they, they have helped make me the person that I am. And I think even the songwriter that I am, because there's a, uh, I think I have an ability to look, to have, to look into a small town point of view, but then also like I have 10 years of living in a big city and, and, uh, you don't forget either. So, of course, uh, yeah. I, so anybody who's listening now, that's from Durant who knew me, who, who thinks, uh, may think ill of me. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I hope that, uh, I hope we get a chance to, to bump into you again. And, uh, I was a cocky, um, young drummer at one point and I knew it and, uh, I didn't care. And, um, I'm sure I still have a bit of that cockiness, but I think uh, the difference is now. I, I'd say now it's more of a confidence. Sure, I hope that that's what it is. Um, I I think now it's it's more of just uh, I'm weathered, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've 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 had life teach me some lessons in some good ways, and and uh, I'm I. Uh, I think that the older I get, the more I realize that the less I know, and I think that that's a good place to be. Uh, cause it keeps me learning all the time. Yeah, yeah. of course. Cause when you're yeah. young, you think you know everything and you know what's best. And you know, you get all this advice from people who love you and you say, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want to do. And of course it turns out wrong. And yeah. And you know, some things you just have to figure out on your own and that's what makes you into the person you become. So yeah, I think that's my- been good for you for sure. Oh yeah. My favorite pastime in my twenties was burning bridges that I was standing on. I just burn them, <laughs> just set fire to them, and be like, "Yeah, that's right. Kick rocks. I don't care." <laughs> um, that only gets you so far, I think. Sure. Uh, yeah. Oh Lord, she looks just like an angel. She listens like a priest. Oh. But everyone has me convinced that she's the devil. Yeah. She eat the medicine I need. Every day she's hanging around my window. She sings that sweet lullaby. But I know she's just an old siren wailing, yeah. And I grow tired of her lies. But it's hard to say goodbye. I should have known. I'm strung out on this doorstep Without a penny to my name And it seems that she always gonna fool me, yeah I got up coursing through my veins There's some things never change But I should have known
did this spot on lightning 100 which is this local indie station here in in nashville and basically what had done what what i had done was i played at a writer's night that they did they really liked my song and they gave me their artist spotlight so they asked me they reached out to me they said hey you want our artist spotlight uh would you come into the radio station we want to record a segment of one of your songs and i was like yeah sure so i came into the the radio station and recorded this song and then um Somebody who I was t- talking to, uh, like a new acquaintance here in, in Nashville that I had met through friends, part of this music meetup, uh, she was talking to one of her friends and she's like, yeah, do you have any like new people, uh, new music in Nashville that I should be listening to? And just some random guy was just like, I heard this guy on Lightning 100. His name's Douglas Allen. Nice. Check him out, man. His stuff's really great. And I was like, "What? That's like, awesome." Okay, great. I'm a nobody here in Nashville, but that was that was a cool moment. So that's great, man. Yeah, getting the word laugh. out. Yeah, well. we'll see. <laughs> and then I uh, actually have I have a song that was just on Hawaii Five O. Uh, wow. Yeah, Tell me a little bit about I, that. Yeah. Well, uh, it's it's not me performing. It is a co-write that I did. But I have a good friend back in Oakland named Tom Rhodes, who's just a great, he's just a killer songwriter. And um, we, uh, he writes primarily for synchronization for, you know, placements in TV and and movie and commercials. And uh, I was really interested in doing that. And so we talked about getting together and writing and we we got together and and, um, and I pitched him an idea for a song. And uh, we kind of referenced this other tune and, and we were listening to it and we, you know, we're like, how do we pay an homage to this tune without, you know, doing this tune? And so we, we wrote this song called, uh, here we go. And, um, and then, uh, we wrote that last, last spring, like right after the winter time. So it was like February or March, we got together and we'd written this song and, um, we found out in July that they were going to start shopping the song around. Like they really liked it. And, um, 
and then I found out right after I moved to Nashville, so like a couple weeks into November, that the song had placed on Hawaii Five O. And so uh, we got I got that news, and I was like, oh wow, this is what I've been you know wanting. I w- I want this opportunity because I'm, I'm in the place now where I'm trying to write for TV and uh, uh, movies and stuff. So and you uh, made it, was, dude. Yeah, that was my first placement. I'm not, I'm not performing it, but who cares? Like, you wrote it. I I co-wrote that song with Tom and and uh, Tom Tom. I think I'm glad I'm not singing it. Tom does such justice to that song. He makes it sound so good, and it's just so his voice and and uh, yeah, he's he's great. That's awesome. Um, and that's that's actually on my website. There's a link to it on my website, so you can listen to it. And so, is that your preferred way for people to listen to you? Would be from your website, or, or are you on Spotify? iTunes. I, my first record from Blood and Dust is on Spotify. I have several tunes that are in queue to get released on Spotify that I've not done it yet. So I was leaving that to move to a new city before I released some of these tunes. So I have them, and uh, I'm going to start releasing them uh, as singles. And uh, but yes, pretty soon you're going to be able to find me on Spotify, and I'll do a big blurb when when that comes around. But right now they're on my they're on my website, which links to my SoundCloud. And, uh, yeah. So where can everyone listen to your music at? Where can everyone find you on the internet? Well, you can find me on douglasallenmusic.com. That's my website. Uh, but I'm on the social medias as well. So if you're on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Douglas Allen music and Instagram, it's at Douglas Allen music and Twitter. And I don't know why I did this differently. I think it was because I, the one that I wanted wasn't available, but it's, I am Douglas Allen. So that's my, that is my, um, those are my socials. Awesome. All right, Douglas Allen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, you've been incredible. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a good time rehashing, rehashing the past and the future. Good talking to you. Yeah, you too. Hi, I'm Kara, and I'm a member of the Faith to Gray Patreon. I'd like to talk to you about an easy and affordable way to get your finances in order. Ryan from BoundlessFinancialSolutions.com can help you set up a budget, learn how to invest your money, and even help you understand retirement. And they don't just work with the individual. They work with businesses and nonprofits as well. What's awesome is they won't ever cold call you or spam your email. You tell them your needs, hopes, and dreams, and they'll provide you with their best options at your convenience. Listeners of Fade to Gray can call 413-977-9967 and ask for Brian. Or you can email him directly at brian at bfs-team.com and mention the podcast to receive a free consultation. That's hundreds of dollars in value. Services are available where licensed. Look, you have no excuse not to get your finances in order.